0: Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And it's me, Brian Colbert-Kennedy. Welcome back to The Office, Brian. Thank you. This is the podcast where we try to bend the motherfucking arc of history towards a more livable planet for you, for me, and for everybody else.
1: Uh, we're going to dive into a specific question affecting everyone on the planet right now. Mm-hmm. If it can kill us or make the future a hell of a lot cooler for everyone, we are in. Our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts. We had a reverend. Fisherman. We had fishermen now. Uh, And we work together toward action steps that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar.
0: This is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, feedback, or M&Ms to us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Or you can email us at funtalk.com at importantonimportant.com.
1: Not plain M&Ms, and none of the weird ones either. No, who the f- Just peanut or peanut butter. You can also join tens of thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our weekly free newsletter at important.important.com
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, this week's episode, Brian, is talking about legalizing the other weed, man. The <laughs> weed of the sea. <laughs> My God. Uh, our guests are Bren Smith of Green Wave
1: on the East Coast, and Tom Ford of the Bay Foundation uh, out here in LA. Mm -hmm. These fine, clean living gentlemen Mm -hmm. are out there on the water every day trying to change the way that we eat and use the ocean uh, to our benefit and, importantly, to the ocean's benefit. That's helpful. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Which seems obvious, but apparently is not because uh, please see the most recent IPCC report just to see how bad we fucked up.
0: It's not great. It's bad. Uh, But Brian, I love this turn. Every time there's hope. I know. And it's cheap. And it's easy. And let's fucking go. Let's go. Let's go. Our guests today are Bren Smith and Tom Ford. And together, we're going to talk about kelp. It's what's for dinner. Uh, Bren, Tom, welcome.
2: Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for
0: sure. For sure. Uh, we're Brian, pumped. Um, let's
1: get it going by uh, just sort of introducing uh, you guys. Um, just let us know who, uh, who you are and what you do. Um, Bren, why don't you start?
3: Sure. So I'm a former fisherman, born and raised up in Newfoundland. High school dropout, in and Same. out of jail when I was a kid, and now I'm a sort of uh, uh, an embarrassed uh, ocean farmer growing
2: disgusting crops called seaweed.
0: <laughs> Perfect. People are gonna. People <laughs> are gonna be internet. so excited.
2: <laughs> you You want me to follow that, man? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, please. No, I mean, that's the goal. Come you, on,
0: you need um, to top that please.
2: Yeah, so my name is Tom Ford. I live in Los Angeles, California. I uh, direct an environmental uh, public-private partnership uh, called the Bay Foundation. And uh, ever since I was a kid, I've been fascinated by the ocean. I've been chasing things down um, under and above the water uh, since my youth. And once I got here in Los Angeles, kelp became my thing. And uh, I've never walked away from it for more than a day for uh, 20 years.
0: I got to ask, how the... What dragged you I mean, I feel like we're like two miles down the road from you. What what dragged you out to Los Angeles? Why are why are you here?
2: Yeah, no Bren's gonna love this. I got tired of the freaking North Atlantic. Uh, Mm. (laughs) it's it's brutally cold out there yeah there's not as there's not a whole lot to see underwater compared to what's going on on the east on the west coast here so it was a it was a new ocean um first and foremost and uh when everybody in my life learned that i was moving to los angeles that just was the craziest thing they'd ever heard um it was the last place i was supposed to end up but uh here i am wife kids and and loving life on the west coast wow
0: that's awesome is it yeah that's crazy
1: Crazy. I left Chicago, too, thinking, why the hell would I ever live in this winter again, ever? Yeah, no
0: one should live there. Nah. No. Um, awesome. Very good. Uh, uh, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Um, just, uh, we always want to remind everyone uh, and let you guys know. So our, our goal here is to, to provide uh, some context for what we're talking about today. Quinn will do that eh, pretty well. Um, really. and, then, uh, and then we'll dig into some uh, action-oriented questions that get to uh, the core of why we should give a shit about uh, what we're talking about and what we can all do uh, to, to help out and support you guys. Sound good?
0: Sounds good. Uh, gentlemen, I feel I couldn't be more excited to find out your answer to this. Cause I feel like yes! uh, it might get thrown right back in my face. Um, but we ask everybody this question. So this is to kind of set the tone a little bit. Instead of saying, you know, tell us your life story. Uh, we like to ask, why are you vital to the survival of the species?
2: <laughs>
0: uh, I say. Th- I think we let Tom go first this time.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Be bold. Be uh, honest, Tom.
2: I'll swing at that, and I'd say the answer is is that I know that we can make a lot more production and potential realized here on this planet, and the pressures that people. Um, That we as a population or as a species are placing on this planet, you're going to need people who have that toolkit like myself, Bren, others. Um, And uh, with the the discomfort of saying that and sounding arrogant, that's, I think, in a nutshell.
0: Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Bren? So um, I just laugh because uh,
3: my wife's pregnant and I keep thinking like, the hope was to end the gene pool. You know, I'm bald, epileptic, <laughs> asthmatic, I'm short, like I'm a very much an acquired taste.
0: Right. But like was, a thousand <laughs> years ago, there's no chance that keeps going.
3: <laughs> so um, I've just been struggling with the, uh, the fact that my genes are going to continue. But I mean, I think... You know, as fishermen to farmers, we're good at growing stuff, and we need to really cultivate these carbon sinks of the future. You know, it's it's where we're going, and I think I, I I'm representative of of sort of the thousands of fishermen and now hopefully far ocean farmers that are blue collar innovators in the water every day, um, just trying to figure out how to how to uh, you know turn the ocean from a victim into a into a uh, solution. <laughs>
0: I love that. Awesome. Um, what What is uh, uh, Dr. Johnson's quote, use the ocean without using it up? Yeah, yeah. Something like that? Yeah. yeah. Which in, in light of the fucking report that came out yesterday, feels pretty appropriate. Pretty appropriate. Um, awesome. All right. So uh, just a little quick context for folks, because I have a feeling some people are like, what the fuck is kelp? Turns out uh, kelp is that slimy shit your kids find on the beach, um, and then they bring it to you. Uh, the question is like, where is it, uh, before it washes up and they stuff it into your beer cooler to keep it for later? Uh, kelp comes out of the ocean. Uh, there's entire forests of the stuff right off the coast. They love to be uh, right off the coast. Uh, maybe the fastest growing plant on the planet from what I understand and among, uh, one of the most nutritious foods, uh, eat sunlight doesn't require any outside food. And aside from edible purposes, kelp forests provide shelter for a huge variety of fish, other marine organisms. And what we're trying to do is uh, figure out how to make it uh, more delicious and and find a thousand ways we can cook it and provide it and get into uh, American diets. So why why would kelp be on, on, on a show that's about the most pressing questions facing humanity today? Uh, thanks for asking. Nobody. Uh, There's a few reasons. (laughs) And the first is we have to feed a a, a metric fuck ton of people now and in the future. And uh, two, we're doing a terrible job of that. Three, the terrible job mostly includes uh, cows and soy uh, and corn. And third, uh, all of those things are unsustainable and, and also unhealthy. So we need this sort of just transition into a new food economy that's healthier and more sustainable and and gets more people the fishermen that can't fish anymore because we fucked that up too and middle class people who who want to figure out how to become a farmer but won't be able to do it on land because we turns out we need that land back to build this new food economy and develop a shit ton of jobs and turns out kelp might just be uh the tip of the sword so that's what we're focusing on today I know kelp has all these other uh, things it brings to the table, uh, blue carbon and things like that. I want to try to focus on the food part today if we can. I know it has a whole host of other benefits, um, but sort of like when people are like, talk about agriculture, it's like we can't do go down every fucking rabbit hole in an hour. So for today, let's try to knock this one out. Brian, you want to kick this off?
1: Let's do it. So Tom, let's start with the West Coast. Um, I... I can't believe I'm saying this, but uh, check my notes here. Yep. L.A. is he- leading the way in reviving kelp forests under siege from climate change. Los Angeles. That's incredible. Is that true?
2: Yes, man, that is true. And I think that um, I appreciate that incredulity in your voice. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Los, right. Los Angeles can't solve anything environmental. Well, we still have um,
0: like 3000 fucking oil wells yeah, in the county. It's no big but deal. you're growing kelp forests, I guess.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, how uh, is that going was- down? Yeah, it was surprising news to everybody up and down the coast. Because if you tell, oh, hey, you know, it's the West Coast, it's the ocean. You think Monterey Bay and you go to Monterey Bay Aquarium and, you know, there's your experience. Sure, right. <laughs> um, so we, we had to convince, you know, professionals and the general public um, that we had a treasure off of our coast that had gotten destroyed um, through a uh, near century of neglect and abuse. And we've been able to flip it around quite successfully. And we're putting the fishermen back to work, to rebuild a forest and a system that they can harvest from, um, that, was, that was a no man's land to them uh, for, the, for the past decades and for some of them, their entire lives. Uh, so it's tremendously rewarding. I can't believe what we realize out there. And for the folks that are texting and driving and bummed, um, the experience that I've had, that the people that I work with have had, is that you can actually transform this planet. And uh, when that soaks in, um, it changes your life.
0: That's pretty wild. So uh, can you just take a step back for us and paint a little picture of, of what your organization does and what you're working on day to day? And I guess, what does it mean to say like there's kelp forests off the coast of Los Angeles and, and California? Like, I think that's probably hard for most of the people in fucking Brentwood to wrap their head around. Yeah,
1: yeah. And like, you know, like three, like what, what's a 3D farming method? Talk to me like I'm a kid.
2: Yes. Okay, man. So, uh, I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I, I think the easiest way to help explain this to folks is that if you look at the mountains that proceed down to the coast, those mountains don't stop when they hit the water. And mm-hmm. those rocks continue down to, in some cases, very impressive depths. Uh, but at about 80 feet or so, the light is really starting to get weak in the ocean. Um, at about that depth, we don't see much more kelp growing beyond that. But in the rocks, from the surf zone down to 80 feet, you've got this beautiful brown algae that's able to harvest the sunlight, like you said, and grow. So we had extensive forests off of our coastline. Um, we knew this from surveys back when they wanted to convert those forests into fertilizer for you know, land-based agriculture. Um, and through a course of... The development of the Los Angeles Basin, um, largely post World War II, we messed up how the water moves around. We messed up how the sand and sediment moves around. We polluted the shit out of it, uh, and so everybody just you know turned their back and walked away and went to go find a new frontier. And at this point in time, you know that frontier is right here off of our coast. So um, we, you asked, you know, what do we do to do this? And we work with everybody. <laughs> yeah. That's simple, simple mm-hmm. truth. We work with everybody. And it's what you do in your house, or it is what your city or county is doing um, to deal with these variety of issues. And then perhaps most specifically, what we do is we go out there and we smash sea urchins by the millions to clear the reefs so that the kelp can come back.
0: Is that something people Whoa. can fucking sign up to do? Like can Brian come out and smash sea urchins?
2: I have no idea if Brian, being the child that he is, is capable of handling That's that. Fair. No, yeah, there's you, child like, labor uh, laws. No, no, no. To be clear,
0: he's going to need like an escort of some sort.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, the boat's twenty eight feet long. I assume we could get a couple people on board. It's <laughs> <is>
0: very exciting. <laughs> I'm um, a full grown man. Yeah. So actually, you, no. You just mentioned that um, th- there were all those crazy headlines, but c- could you illustrate a little for for and and Brent? I don't think it's the same problem in the East Coast. Like apparently, these sea urchins have turned into a fucking disaster. On the West Coast, is that right?
2: Yeah, no. So you know, this is a classic example of an ecosystem, you know, shifting out of balance. Um, And it is not just the a problem in Los Angeles. This is a global issue. Uh, I'm on the phone all the time with folks up in British Columbia. Um, Brent can speak to what happened up in the Canadian Maritime area and what's going on in New England better than I. But I got folks on the phone from you know Japan, Tasmania. Uh, We're all looking at the same thing. Um, So. Uh, once you take all the predators out of a system, an organism that's you know evolved to try to stand up to that rate of predation by reproducing wildly when things are going its way, and you end up with a with a with a shit pile of urchins out there,
0: wow. and they just fucking eat kelp. That's their thing.
2: They're like tribbles, man, from Star Trek, right? They, um, so, the, the, one of the amazing things about them is that they have their biology is so different than ours. Um, you know, no muscles, no blood. Um, They're essentially, you know, a digestive tract, reproductive organs covered with, you know, spines. And so, if things go bad for them for a couple decades, no big deal. Um, they can they can hunker down and survive stuff, man. They're like a spiny zombie on the ocean <laughs> Little weird aliens. They're oh, they're yeah. like the they're like the white nationalists
3: of the ocean. They're <laughs> ugly, they're adapted, <laughs> they're basically
2: evil. They fucking
0: yeah. won't go away. And also Brian <laughs> wants to smash them. I will definitely smash them. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah and it's, it's amazing though man because people come after me they're like dude you're vilifying the urchins like you know it's not their fault or you know they're you know oh, Jesus could, could an organism be a bad guy in this case and I'm like yeah an organism could be a bad guy wow. us the ones walking around with thumbs right that, that that messed this all up yeah um so that's that's really the, the the point of the story in the long run but if we don't get them out of the way, the kelp forest can't come back, and then all those other benefits um, can't come back, and the system doesn't function. It doesn't pull down the carbon. It doesn't make other, you know, kelp. It doesn't make other fish. It doesn't make this. Um, so it's it's been an awesome opportunity to do that work, and other folks are are now taking our model and applying it elsewhere around the globe, and that feels awesome.
0: Wow, that's wild. So, Bren, switch into the East Coast. Uh, I first of all, you you mentioned in your book, you're like I have one skill, it, and it's I can work for a long time, but you're also like kind of a fucking poet. I mean, it felt a little bit like reading Melville. Uh, I I I really in, enjoyed it uh, a hell of a lot. And and you pioneered so much of this uh, movement with your with your bare hands. But you've also been brutally honest about, uh, like you were before we start, about the kelp, the product, the business, what you've learned and continue to learn. Um, so I'm super curious about this crazy little issue that. and and please correct me, maybe we're starting to deal with this in some way, but uh, is the shelf life for kelp actually half an hour?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So what happens, we bring it out of the water and it just hates the oxygen. So it begins to shrivel um, uh, and we need to shut that oxygen off really uh, quickly. And that's one of the challenges. That means we need, we can grow this stuff really fast, really effectively, but it just means we need infrastructure, and infrastructure is uh, expensive. So that's just been a, a challenge we've been we've been facing. In many ways, the market's surging forward, the farming's sur- surging forward, but that sort of centerpiece is something that really needs development.
0: So, wh- I mean, what does that look like? Does that literally, and, and again, treat us like fucking kindergartners here. I mean, does that look like small processing? I know you don't want, obviously, no no one wants like these huge... Agricultural industrial giants getting in the way of this shit, but does that look like processing plants on the dock? Like, how, can you can you pull this shit up and then what do you do? You freeze it and then bring it to the dock? Like, how does the process work right now, and how would it work optimally?
3: Yeah, so we think of a reef model. We call it Green Wave Reef, which is um, in twenty-five to fifty small-scale farms in an area. How Syria- big is a farm? Um, it, like it depends. It depends where, but say twenty-five acres as okay. an average, okay. and um, uh, you know, to make a to be able to make a living, and um, that allows for networked production, right? Enough mm-hmm. volume to hit the docks, and it kind of spreads risk, right? The trouble with the ocean is that you know my farm. Some years I get uh, fifteen, twenty feet uh, blades of kelp. Other years, three foot. Right? And so um, huh. we can't control our soil, essentially. We got, my soil turns over like a thousand times a day. Right. So we just need to deal with that volatility. And we do that through networks of farms. But then when you hit land uh, on the reefs, you got a processing plant. And the thing I like about kelp, I, like kelp, I know you want to concentrate on food, but it really is the soy of the sea, but not evil. Right? We can make mm-hmm. it. Good, delicious food, but we can also turn it into an ingredient and weave it into all sorts of other industries, as mm-hmm. bio, you know, bioplastics, as fertilizer, sure. feed, stuff like that. And so, the processing plants need to be able to stabilize that kelp and turn it into a, an ingredient. Right now, we we freeze it, uh, we blanch it, we turn it into noodles, bouillon cubes, things like that, and and we. Mm-hmm we get it fresh to, you know, we bag it and um, uh, it, it's got basically a three or four day shelf life in the fridge if it's if it's bagged. That's what we're doing now. But I think the challenge, like we're in Alaska working with some of the indigenous folks there and that shipping uh, is going to be really challenging to get it down to the lower 48. Yeah. So the, the processing technology is just going to be key.
0: So what exists of the Processing infrastructure and technology that we're looking for have have there been any any wins? Are we building these things? Who's building them? What, yeah, what needs so, to happen?
3: Uh, right in California, there's uh, Blue Evolution, a great company. They're working up in Alaska. They've got some great processing uh, capability. There's Atlantic Sea Farms in Maine. They're doing like amazing fermented products and things like that. Um, and but the like the bouillon cubes, crazily enough need to get partially processed in the Faroe Islands and finished in Germany and then come back. What? And the reason is it's just so expensive to build this stuff. So and we can't build it before people are eating and buying it. Right. So um we're working with one company, they're gonna roll out a series of bouillon cubes, but they have to see if people are going to eat it and catch right. on before you put in, you know, four or five million dollars into a processing plant. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd say, I mean, this is about the ocean, but the key uh, the there's going to be all this land-based infrastructure that's needed. So our hatcheries, for example, and my small processing plant is in one of the poorest neighborhoods here um, in Connecticut. And so we get this opportunity to not only farm, but plan and place our land-based infrastructure to make sure communities benefit here at the local level.
0: That's super interesting. I wonder if uh, the guys at Appeal Sciences could help out. Oh, that's really interesting.
1: We talked to these guys that have this company that uh, they like use. They use food to make this product they, to coat fruits and vegetables in that keeps oxygen out. Oh, amazing! So, yeah, it's, it was it's called
0: Appeal A P E E L. It's run by this guy James Rogers, who I mean, typical like. But we talked to so many fucking yeah. just infinitely smart humans. And he was like, I was watching solar paint dry one day that I had made by hand. Right. <laughs> and it occurred to me like I could use this all natural fucking like at NASA. He was like watching solar paint dry at NASA. I was like, all right, all right, all right. He's like, I, I figured out I can use this like all natural, all natural like coating. Yeah. Basically on any fruit. And it, ex- it like doubles the fucking shelf life. And they've proved it, and now like his avocados are in like Kroger's and shit, and they last twice as long. And it's just, it could like change food waste. Period. Let's spray that shit on some kelp. Yeah, that's really interesting. You
3: know, and that's the the weird thing is. So there's this chance to innovate forward. But then when I was doing the book, we just found this whole lost well in uh, Western culinary history of of seaweeds, right? It used to be a bar snack in Scottish and Irish uh, bars. Oh, wow. McDonald's actually made a seaweed burger in the 90s. It became the <laughs> national what? official burger of the National Basketball Association. What? Um you know, in San Diego alone over on your coast there were 1500 workers in the early 1900s creating 52 different kelp products. Um, wow. now including weapons. Like only we could weaponize something like kelp. Jesus. That's <laughs> World War 1. <laughs> what the fuck does does a is a kelp weapon look like?
0: Uh, Jesus. Wow. So I, I, I do want to mention, because you put it so succinctly uh, before we start recording, Bren, that kelp is disgusting, I believe is the word <laughs> you used. So what what do we, I guess, what are, considering like like you said, like the, the farms are taking off and I know the regulatory stuff has, has been a nightmare to get through and you guys are pioneering that stuff. But what are, I guess, what are the things that are uh, w- working that are that that we're doing to actually make this fucking taste good to make people want it besides like giving it to fancy chefs. Like what well, do you guys well, see as I guess starting with starting with food and we and I'm happy to take a fucking left turn into everything else, but like where do we see like the easiest wins basically for this? Yeah, us? yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, um so yeah, I mean I eat at the gas stations most nights. I fish for McDonald's. I got no interest in food. Like I can grow stuff and but the interesting thing with the chefs is they specialize in making disgusting things uh, delicious. So you take Brooks Headley out at Superiority Burger, used to be a pastry chef, was a punk rock drummer, and he he makes vegetables uh, unhealthy is what he does. <laughs> and so he took our kelp. And he made, right away, he made barbecue kelp noodles with parsnips parsnips and breadcrumbs. Right, and that's brilliant because you get the heat of the barbecue sauce, you get that crunch of the breadcrumbs and the sort of roundness of parsnips, and immediately it desouchifies it. Right? It just turns it into mm-hmm. some everyday drunk food late at right, night right. in man in Manhattan. And I think that's the mistake I made originally is I worked with seafood chefs, and seafood chefs traditionally have been amazingly un. On- Inventive, uh, but land-based uh, chefs have just gotten so creative. The seafood chefs would just wrap it around fish, create a seaweed salad, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but now, now, I think—I mean—the other thing I'd say is, if a chef can't make what I grow delicious, they should quit their jobs. Like I'm growing a, a, a <laughs> climate-ready crop, and right. they have to make it del- del- delicious and beautiful. That's that's why they've been put on Earth, and otherwise, they should just hit the unemployment line.
0: Well, they have to, or else we're dead. I mean yeah. it's it's you got to make it delicious. Yeah, <laughs> the
2: other no, I've, thing is I've, I've had that same conversation when engineers are like, "Oh, we can't fix this." But I'm like, "What the fuck are you talking about? It's what do you guys do? Go <laughs> yeah. do it. Go you do, got it. One th- do the thing." This is the it.
0: thing I talk about when I when we, my wife I, I'll make her watch football and a wide receiver drops a ball and I get very angry and she's like, "Well, that happens." I'm like, "No, no, no, no. They got one job. It's to catch a football. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like you. You don't get to just go, "Oh, maybe next time." It's like, "No motherfucker. Like that's your job."
3: Yeah, exactly. the The other thing I'd say is what we found is as we're growing in different places, there are just different flavors. Like I like kelp because you cook it, it turns bright green. Green that aesthetics um, are really good, and yeah. it doesn't taste like much. Like it's a great gateway drug for the American palate because mm-hmm. it has such a mild flavor. And then as we begin growing in different places, because we're growing in Alaska, we're growing up in Canada and in, in New England, California, places like that, and everyone tastes. Each crop tastes different, a different level of sort of mouthfeel and saltiness and sweetness. And once we dive into those flavors, which we've never done, I think we're going to, that's how we shift uh, shift taste. And the other thing is, you know, there are 10,000 plants in the ocean. Thousands of them are edible. So as a chef, this is the you know the the beginning of a new sort of adventure of what are the what are the kales, the arugulas, the tomatoes, the corns of the uh, of the future. Right. And so suddenly, you know, the eating bug. It doesn't have to be eating bugs. It can be eating a, a whole new set of uh, you know delicious, beautiful plants.
0: Interesting. So I'm curious. I guess for for both of you guys, um, where are you as you're sort of working to keep big industry. Out of this shit, where is the money coming from for for the the farms and the processing stuff that does exist and these new food companies? Where where do you see that coming from if it's not coming from you know Cargill and shit like that?
3: I mean, the challenge for us on the farming side is that. The sharks have arrived, right? The tridents, the huge processing uh, companies, the hedge funds—all these folks, folks that come in. Essentially, we've de-risked the industry as farmers. Like we've gone out in the forest, figure out how to farm, and now they're all coming because it can be uh, profitable. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely sort of uh, scary to us that uh, that you know their, their their vertical integration, privatization of seed, privatization of the oceans—all those sort of things. Um, um, that. Said one of the keys for us is how do we create the nail salon models of the sea, right? How do we keep capital costs really low, skill requirements really low? So if overheads low, then a lot of us can get into the industry. There can be thousands of farmers producing, and um, uh, uh, you know, you, so you, you don't have to take out loans from the banks and you don't need investors. I think that's going to be the key. There, I mean, there are good. I got a section of the book called Swimming with Sharks, and I've just had some uh, I had a failed company and I just got really burned along the way with this sort of uh, mythic, false climate denying thing called an impact investor and um, who are coming into industries. They get attracted because they want to address climate change and other other environmental issues, but they still want to brag to their mistresses that they're making 15 percent return. Um, mm-hmm. In in five to six years, right, and that's just never going to happen. We need really patient capital that's more like we dial back to three to four percent return over nine years, and that's how we get there
2: um, as we build something new. Yeah, nice. I would say the other side of the coin from from a lot of places where I'm working is we're looking at you know carbon trading and carbon taxes um, amassing you know huge sums of money, and then in this case, you know, looking at this saying you know we can invest into you know ocean farming as as a working landscape that has all those benefits that we need, um, getting the carbon out of the atmosphere, et cetera, but putting local folks to work right now, the trick for us to break open that piggy bank is we need some more science. Uh, we've got to come down with a real hard number and a quantifiable you know pathway to how many tons of carbon moves into where in this system. And then once we can prove that out, we've got that rubric. And then we can turn around to the state of California and say, hey, we would, you know, we'd like to see, you know, a billion bucks rolling right. into this type of stuff up exactly. down the coast. And I'm right there with Brent. I'd love to see it still be these, you know, the, these local mom and pop shops. Um, yeah. That's the community that we try to focus on for sure.
3: I mean, you know, the, the exciting thing about this space is that we can build a system from the bottom up, right? We can take all the lessons of land-based industrial ag, industrial aquaculture, not make the same mistakes. And I think for, we're seeing folks from all different walks of life coming into the sector because, God, we, we might be able to do food right this time, do ag uh, uh, the right way. But it's just going to be all hands on deck. Like We need a new research. We need a good investment. Uh, we, need, we got a waiting list of 4,000 farmers at GreenWave at our training program right now. And so we need an army of farmers that can train other farmers um, uh, all over the country. And you know, we we there isn't much time to address the climate issues. Everybody knows, so it has to happen uh, really fast. The other thing I'd say is the weird thing about farming is you know I can't see the crops I grow, and I can't swim personally, so there's no way I'm ever going to see them. And my, <laughs> my my soil turns over a thousand times a day. So we've gotten deep into the data space because we're going to need that data in order to figure out how to grow and grow better. And one of the more interesting projects we're working on is that in four states, we have farmers getting paid $25,000 a year to harvest data and sell that to a tech company. So suddenly you get a farm that's... Hmm. uh, harvesting food, but also harvesting ecosystems uh, services, like Tom said, carbon, nitrogen, and harvesting uh, data, and that creates a resilient mo- model of multiple income income streams for the small farmer.
0: Fascinating. So, yeah, you're, I remember in the book you're talking about how you know we we don't need like Cargill's big fucking robots tearing apart the these farms, but underwater sensors and things like that could could really change the game because, like you said, uh, you're 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 quote-unquote, organic soil turns over a thousand times a day. It's insane. And you need to know temperatures and salinity and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I don't even have a tractor of the sea, right? Will someone invent right. that for me? right <laughs> We're on it. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, this is how unadvanced the field is, yeah. which makes makes exciting, but also frustrating. Like, I need a boat, and it probably looks like a catamaran where I can drive over my farm, be seeding and 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 um, uh, 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 harvesting in, uh, with the same vehicle. But you know, I don't have the the money or the skills to do it. So,
1: help. <laughs> so, uh, <Yeah>. help me. <laughs> <laughs> help.
2: Um, yes. Yeah, so, and I think Brandon, one of the things you brought up with the data and uh, on this is, you know, a place that's good today for growing kelp might not be a good place tomorrow. Yeah. And I mean, you, you heard about the variability already. Brandon was talking about, you know, some years it's just rocking other years. It completely fails in a given location so we're trying to figure out you know where those kelp forests of tomorrow are because regardless right the climate is changing it's not going to stop on a dime even if we get our act together so we're trying to figure out you know not just where can this work now but where should we be looking and prioritizing for the future
0: what are ideal water temperatures (laughs) Uh, i mean i like i like
3: 56 to 58 degrees to seed and uh and so we 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 uh you know, November we go in around here, and then uh, uh, we pull it out before water temps hit about sixty-five to to seventy. Mm-hmm. Um, so cold waters is key. We got it up in Alaska; it's interesting. We're working to just figure out how to replant and reforest up in the Exxon spill zone, mm-hmm. um, and that's looking like a real sweet spot. But as Tom said, the trouble is this year the waters up there hit seventy degrees for for three weeks and um uh, and that's just petrifying like we'll just figure out how to grow this stuff how to sell it how to eat it and then um uh the ecosystem will change right. quickly so how do we stay ahead of that climate curve as we go forward and i will say uh, you know we gotta we we need to get over kelp as the, as sort of the, the secret weapon, we got to think about polyculture, mm-hmm. all these other species replicating the ecosystem of a mix of shellfish and, and, and seaweeds as we go to create resiliency, both on the, the environmental side, but also on the, the, the sort of farm profitability side.
0: Tom is, is the 3d farming model bringing in the shellfish and such, is that part of your guys' work as well? Or are you mostly focused on the, the kelp stuff?
2: Yeah, no, we are we are more focused on that three D uh, model, and the way I look at it is, uh, like, I'm trying to be the next generation ocean rancher. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get the kelp forests back so that I've got the right number of urchins, and those urchins become fat, juicy, luscious urchins that people want to pay a premium mm-hmm. to eat. That we you know have the predators of those urchins in the form of fishes and lobster and other things that we're also interested in having come across our plates, and then we, and then you know you got to manage every one of those species smartly, nested in you know a dynamic ecosystem. So the the cool part is is that it ain't easy, but the, the cool part is is this really fun thing to play with, um, and thus far. Because of this disturbance that we're talking about, you know, these kelp forests crash or explode um, so dynamically that if you go in there and start tinkering with this stuff, right, you can put a forest back in in a matter of months. That's you know, and that's wild. the thing that's just flipping people out every time, you know, we sit down and talk to you know, somebody who hasn't been introduced to this because I'm like, yeah, man, it was a parking lot. It was useless. Right. And here's the image of it three months later. And it's loaded. With a diversity of fish, crabs, lobsters, and everything else, and you know, multiple forms of of algaes. So it's it's been it's been a trip, man. I I just I'm a selfish environmentalist, man. I got friends that are up there like planting sequoias and redwoods. I'm like, you're gonna be fucking dead before that thing, (laughs)
0: you know, taller (laughs) than me. You know that fucking tree like two thousand
2: years, right? Yeah. That's amazing. You know, I'm in business.
1: Tom, where's uh, where's private money? Getting involved out here, and and you know what are they looking to do? What are they looking for on on their uh, return on
2: investment? Yeah, no. At this point in time, the the private money that's coming in is is trying to figure out how we could take these urchins that again, you know, are, are, are a nuisance in this system yeah. with their current balance, and uh, trying to figure out ways that we can actually nourish them up and and make them. Um, a, a viable product. And in this case, what we're trying to do is couple um, those efforts with our restoration work. And instead of, you know, you like sitting in the dark corner, hoping that none of your friends find you eating some sushi that you know is <laughs> we're going to plant it. Um, hey, choose this sushi because it's making the planet better. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the notion that we're kicking around here in, in California and up the West Coast. Um, and and it's, it's already happening in Canada. And, uh, and in japan and so we've got we're not on the cutting edge of this one but we're definitely gonna have to figure out if we can tailor it to our system and our needs
3: i mean some of the just to add to that there are some great uh folks doing um like in san diego ports the port has been investing in sunken seaweeds a young young couple that's been uh, started a fa- started a farm growing five different types of seaweeds still at the small scale again blue em- evolution Really great at a, at a San Francisco, and they've been tracking a lot of um, investment. I think what it's looking like um, all over the place is hybrid models of, of a mix of philanthropic money and private capital yeah. coming coming together at the right stages. It's sort of like not an either or. It's what kind of money. Uh, When we decided to do Green Wave as a nonprofit because we thought there needed to be a trusted network actor that could hold the vision and not try to make money on the farmers, actually just train, get hatcheries going, things like that, and then um, uh, let other folks take over the market.
0: So I I just said one quick question, thinking about some of the things you've mentioned so far and what we talked about. Uh, You you said that Green Wave has a backlog of like 4,000 farmers in waiting. Is that what you said?
3: Yeah, my job is just to disappoint people.
0: Oh, you perfect. Know? Welcome to my life. I mean, that's what my, I think that my wife put in Stop. my marriage vows. Um, so uh, is, does that, is that because of uh, regulatory hurdles or pro- is it because they're of the lack of processing? Like, is there already too much kelp coming out of the water? Like, wh- What is the backlog and, and how does that kind of get solved along the way? What are the obstacles that need to come down?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, um, uh, it's a whole mix of people coming to us. It's, uh, you know, um, young land-based farmers that can't afford land. And, you know, our acreage is 50 bucks an acre to uh, uh, to lease. It's We've got fishermen that were, you know, uh, uh, we got one guy's 11th generation fisherman who's in our, our program. What's interesting is we looked at who are the majority of uh, folks working with us in the hatcheries, uh, starting new new businesses and on the farms. It's majority women, which was so shocking. I thought it was going to be like old drunk fishermen, like like me,
0: <laughs> like you do. But it,
3: but instead, it's people like Catherine Puckett. Catherine Puckett's out in Block Island. She's got a pink boat, all male crew. She's doing she's doing kelp oysters and clams, and the guys on the boat love it because they can stay on the island all year. They don't have to. It's a tourist place, so they don't have to go back. But they fucking hate working on a pink boat. Right? <laughs> and they're all these bitches Well, maybe that's the new blue economy, right? Women actually yeah. being the architects. Oh yeah. Now, um, regulatory, it's funny. There's a lot, Everybody thinks it's huge permitting problems. Our program, we actually permit and help the farmers permit with our, with our team. We've gotten pretty good at, it. I mean, there are thousands of acres getting permitted. If you look at the whole country, California is its own unique problem. I mean, they haven't given out a lease in 19 years. There are a couple, um, wow. places where we can farm in California, but in New York, uh, so th- it's happening in a lot of places, but you take New York, and there's no legislation to grow kelp. It's actually not legal to grow kelp, so we're growing it in four feet of water. Actually, we're growing fifteen foot uh, blades of kelp in there, but we're not allowed to sell it. So you know oh, we oh, need to yeah hold on. To legalize the other <laughs> feet in New York. Wait, oh, wait a hold on.
0: I, I'm not a fucking math major here, but I'm just trying to understand how you're growing. What did you say? Fifteen feet of kelp in four feet of water? I'm so confused. Yeah, the ship floats. <laughs> oh, the shit floats. Got it. Right. Okay. Shit floats,
1: baby. <laughs> right. Got it. Why is it illegal yeah. to sell?
3: It's just not legal. It's never been legalized. Right. Whoa. It's just to, to so you can wild harvest, but you can't. Uh, you can't farm it.
2: So, okay. And I'd say. Huh. I can, places- I can go score a dime bag. A, yeah, I was like, just going to say, I can yeah, get all the yeah. weed
1: I want. No problem. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. Got got I mean, it. when I started this, it was so freaking
3: embarrassing to grow uh, kelp that I was telling everybody I was growing underwater hemp so I wouldn't get beat up. In the dock. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming underwater. Uh, hemp, A full circle. But I think, you know, some, the challenge here is how do you move supply, infrastructure and markets all at the same time? So in some places, right. we've got too much kelp, not enough infrastructure, other places, We got infrastructure and market and not enough kelp. Uh, And so, what Green Wave is doing is sort of always trying to move those pieces of the chessboard regionally. It's just, it it really needs to be a local regional strategy and just making sure one doesn't get ahead of the other.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. It's got to be a hell of a balancing act.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Sucks.
1: Guys, what are uh, like some other examples, some previous examples of, you know, sort of strange new foods being uh, successfully? Introduced into into American diets, Brand. You, you talked uh, in your book about kale and uh, all the ways that you you know you got help kelp into New York kitchens, like you just mentioned in the White House. What's the easiest you know way in these days? And what's having like a lot of success? What products? Yeah.
3: I mean, when I first started selling it, the, my my most successful was not going through the seafood suppliers, like I said, but going right. through the folks that were selling truffles and mushrooms in the chefs into New York. Yeah. And immediately those folks are like, oh, this is the kale of the, the sea. It has a unique, you know, marouille flavor to it and we can get it locally. And they just, you know, that was, I was, that's my farm was really successful early on just because I was able to sell everything into, um, in, in into the city. Now, I mean, let's not choose of shifting tastes is hard and slow. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that's why we don't want to bank everything on flavor. We're going to do that. We're going to move shellfish and seaweeds to the center of the plate. And, you know, the climate winds are at our back because anybody who's growing zero input food, you know, without fertilizer, without feed, without fresh water, it's going to be the most affordable food on the planet as corn prices go up and soy prices and everything. So that's going to move it to the center of the, uh, the plate. But we also, um, you know, we need to move those other uses into bioplastics, fertilizer feeds, things like that. I mean, I'm a huge fan of fertilizers right now because there's a, there's a nutrient deficiency on uh land right and all Mm -hmm. that stuff's leached in the oceans i have them all i got all that nitrogen that carbon that phosphorus so i'm going to soak it up and sell it back to the farmers and so uh, land-based farmers so one of our biggest markets is actually taking all the waste quote-unquote waste off the farm stuff that isn't food grade and moving that to uh land-based farms to to you know give them the nutrients they need
0: oh wow super interesting yeah so as we're moving towards sort of action and ways people can get involved and they can get involved in seemingly quite a number of, of ways here. And we've got listeners from, you know, business leaders to senators and congresspeople to fucking nerds. But so uh, I'm curious. There's lots of talk about uh, how there's more U.S. territory underwater than above water. <laughs> and and that's before sea level rise completely fucks us. But uh, talk to me a little bit more about can can these 3D farms go... Obviously, they can't go anywhere. You already mentioned that there's specific water temperature preferences. What are the other basic requirements? Like where can't it go?
2: You know those nutrients and and that, all that stuff that Brent just identified, right? Much of that's moving off of the landscape, coming off the continents, um and we see it you know, along the shoaling up all along the coastlines. Um once you get out, you know, many miles from 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 land, you you often encounter waters um, that are nutrient deficient, um, you know, large, large portions of the surface waters of the planet don't have sufficient nutrients in them for you to set up a kelp farm, you know, 400 miles off the coast of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um not, not to mention the difficulties in accessing it. So, you know, I think we are looking at, at these coastal areas uh, along the continental shelves as the preferential places for this. It makes sense logistically. It makes sense from a biochemical uh, standpoint uh, to help make this stuff move. And, you know, that's, that's, where, that's where our focus is at this point in time. Um, Brennan his, uh, and his army of ingenuity over there might have a, might have a different plan. Uh, but I've I've seen folks trying to imagine flying planes around and seeding the ocean with iron pellets to Jesus try to um, make this happen, or uh, sinking uh, pipes down into deeper nutrient rich waters and bringing them up to the surface to create you know a, basically an artificial landscape or artificial ocean in which you could cultivate this in places where you can't. So I think there's going to be some pretty cool stuff that that comes out of this. But right now it's coastal.
3: The the thing I. Uh, two things. One is as a farmer, I think the trouble with the ocean engineers and a lot of ideas I'm uh, seeing out there is people are over engineering. Like the ocean is very unfriendly. You can't be an oak, you got to be a willow, right? So you know, the storms come over our farm and the whole thing sinks. The buoys actually don't hold the farm afloat. They just pop under the water and then pop back up. And it's the capital costs are just key. So if it does get destroyed, you can just start another farm. So all these, you know, I just, as a farmer, these, the floating platforms, all the technology, I, I do worry it's folks that are not in the water and sort of uh, um, scared of the water. Like as a fisherman, it petrifies. As as soon as you lose your fear of the ocean, get off, right? Mm -hmm. And you just, it's so powerful. So that's one thing. The other thing is um, if folks want to get involved, I'd say there are a couple ways. One is – Support a sea trust. Try to build a sea trust in your area. Just like land trusts, we need, say, California, two thousand acres that are permitted for reforestation. So we're just planting like mad. We're farming sections of it for um, for food and other products, and then there's room for artisanal fisheries, and there's a blue carpet regime over that. So, so the sea trust model, I think people locally can do that at a small, t- tiny community garden level or, or a massive scale. I think we need, a, we need structured funds if you're in the business world. Which is like a ocean, like a kelp fund that strategically deploys in all the different areas where we need innovation in the hatchery, in the farm designs, and the processing product development, so that all these pieces move at once. And then the last thing is the Green New Deal. It's freaking crazy. The Green New Deal mentions the ocean one time. Right. And, and because everybody people either don't think of the ocean, their backs are to it or they think of it as a victim. And instead, it can just be this powerful solution to climate change. We did with with Ayana actually, actually, Johnson, we did a, um, a Blue New Deal uh, policy. Uh, paper which really brings together community wild fisheries with massive restoration of kelp forests and shellfish uh, reefs along with catalyzing ocean farming so i think folks can uh, on the legislative end need, need to start pushing for the ocean of being a solution base
0: uh Luna deal i like that a lot yeah, that's insane. Imagine the ocean once. It's it's incredibly frustrating. That's super interesting. Do you feel like that was a like you said, people thinking of it as as a victim, or it's foregone, or do you think that's just there weren't enough ocean people there? There weren't. I mean, it's still actively being developed. There aren't enough ocean people like yourself and Ayana and others involved in the crafting of it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think actually people, the conservationists. Um, and I say this with love, but criticism, the conservation is sort of owned quite a bit of the ocean space and conservation as it is, you know, setting aside huge swaths of ocean or the entire ocean as a marine park, it's still going to die. Like conservation as a single strategy is really climate denial at this point. You need something breathing life back into the ocean and I'd argue it's farming. So. A lot of the policy and mm-hmm. the narrative about oceans is all about, like, oh, let's set it apart or what fish sh- should you eat? And it's like red, greens, blues. They change every day. So it's just a stressful uh, situation. Then people go buy chicken or beef, you know, once they mm-hmm. look at their seafood app. Right. Um, so there just really needs to be a reimagining of our season. Like Tom's work is a great example of that, It just uh, reintroducing people. And then those studies, aquaculture has such a bad brand name in the. In the grocery store, because right. of its history of of growing things that uh, you know you got to feed and and uh, uh, poop and and want to swim away, and so all of these things have just you know brought us this moment. But I think there's a huge opportunity to just flip to flip that script and and uh, um, get people engaged.
0: So I, I, I that's a kind of a perfect segue to a, a big question I had. So I, I, I'm hoping you guys can clear this up pretty succinctly for our listeners who are. They're consumers just like everybody else. It's just that they mostly and usually give a shit about what they're eating and what they're buying in the future of food and of the planet. So, And and by the way, I, I, ha- I haven't been trying to ignore the shellfish piece of this, which is obviously a big piece. It's just that most people already fucking eat shellfish. Uh, we, mm-hmm. Of course, it's mm-hmm. better if we could eat more of it. I'm trying to help provide context around this third piece and, and how that comes in. So tell me, why should consumers... Uh, and position this if you can on like a one-to-one level, not like good for the industry, et cetera, et cetera. Make it for like a shopper. Why should they buy farmed kelp and shellfish and shellfish from three D ocean farms, but not farmed fish? What's the difference there?
2: I mean, I can chime yeah. in, Tom. Why don't you take first shot? Yeah, man. So in this case, it, what you're eating when you're eating, you know, shellfish or you're eating kelp is you're eating really low down on the trophic level, and i you know meaning these are herbivores. Um, or planktivores that are sucking the tiny microscopic plants, or the bits of kelp that's breaking up and floating around in the sea from the wave action and all of that. So it's it's as close to that zero input um, that Bren was talking about, uh, rather than you know the farmed salmon. Well, they need to eat. You know, we used to feed them fish. Now we feed them soy, and they are not as. Before uh, they're not just not as capable of turning over their food into something that you're going to. there's a loss of that conversion factor there mm-hmm. so it's really super efficient um, to grow kelp and eat kelp and it's really comparatively still very efficient to to eat shellfish and urchin and and those animals that are preying on the kelp
3: so and you know the thing is is aquaculture has always tried to fix the wild fisheries, right? Which is, so you run out of salmon, tuna, whatever you do. So, But people like eating salmon and tuna, so you try to grow around existing markets. And what I think the mistake was made was people didn't go to the ocean and sort of ask, what's unique about it as an agricultural space, right? Um, What does the ocean want us to grow? Now, I got tons of friends that farm fish doing amazing stuff, but I see the industry still in its environmental R&D stage. Mm -hmm. kind of went to market too too fast Hmm. and it could because what it's you know it's at the stage where it's trying to become sustainable which is fundamentally about making bad things better just like clothing right we need to make things regenerative restorative and that's the beautiful thing about these crops is like you know you can eat them but they're breathing life back into the ocean and you know, I what do I know about anything except for you know, what I see in the water? And I used to work on the salmon farms and all these, you know, the boiling water of you know, everybody shitting and fucking eating everything. And then I go to my quiet little plot and lift up walls of vegetables. It just seems to make more sense, and it's freaking cheaper, right? Because I'm not feed. I don't know no no feed, no no cages. No, nothing. It's just it becomes really a a sort of simple uh, model. So as a small business person, it just makes sense.
0: And that's super interesting. And and this is a type of shit like I I love to clarify for people is like when you say, like you said, we're we're farming these all these different type of fish because this is what people have demanded and what they want. And now Americans for 25 years have been eating sushi, so we need all that. And of course, 90% of it's fucking mislabeled. But those require tremendous inputs. And like you said, we used to feed them fish and now we feed them soy and, and shit like that. And that makes us have to have more monoculture on land itself, which is also a nightmare. But what you guys are doing with these 3D ocean farms requires virtually no input.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just eat the carbon, the sunlight, and the nitrogen and other stuff that there's too much of. Right. It's just so simple once you shift. Like, I wish it was more complicated. Tom and I would have <laughs> sound smarter, but it's just like blast, <laughs> simple as soon as you shift your view. Right.
2: Yeah. Right. When I talk to people about this, they go, okay, man. So, like, you're spending millions of dollars, you're clearing out all those urchins. Um, you know, you're telling me that the ocean flips over, it's capricious. Um, you know, what's the story on this? You know, how, how long does it last? And I go, we've never had to go back and maintain anything we've ever done because the ecosystem is back and it's stabilized. And I don't you know, I think that's going to we'll have a multi decadal run with our investment in these systems off the coast of of L.A. And then we'll have to go back and, you know, give them a tweak um, in 20, 30 years. If things keep progressing as they are. And I'm just looking at, and they look at me like I'm a con man at that point. And I'm going, <laughs> right. no, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. It just works. You know, my, my apologies.
0: Right. Right. I'm wow. sorry to, not to fucking disappoint you. Yeah. And, and they
2: to- by having this actually function properly.
0: <laughs> right. 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 And that's crazy. And it, of course, there's all the additional shit like for the fact that, you know, shellfish clean the fucking water around them. They're not fish cages full of shit. Yeah. There's yeah. a really great book. I don't know if you guys have ever read or if you guys read. Um, there's a book <laughs> called uh, "The Island at the Center of the World," and it's about uh, Manhattan when and it's full of a bunch of like firsthand journals from from the Dutch coming over and shit like that. And they talked about, oh, the 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 bay is crystal clear and you can see the dolphins and all the oysters are cleaning the water. And you're just like, holy fucking yeah. fuck, what? what did we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You
2: know, my my grandfather was uh, grew up in Manhattan. And you know he was born in 1900, and you know I would talk to him about it, like, you know going to school, stepping over piles of horse shit because there were no cars, right. and he would go swimming in the East River and just pull <laughs> crabs off of the shore and bring them home and throw them in the pot. And Whoa! Like, Come yeah. on, yeah, and yeah. you know th- th- that loss of understanding of what our oceans used to look like, what yeah. people only a few generations ago experienced. Um, you know, is 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 really an exciting concept. Um, when you get some time to sit down with somebody and be like, Man, you know, the life that's in the ocean right now is just so depressed compared to what it once was, um, because we're so goddamn effective at taking anything that's slow and tasty and murdering it and eating it.
0: <laughs> it's crazy. And I'm I'm from Virginia, so I'm a big Chesapeake Bay diehard and and they've suffered in the same way and folks are working hard to bring it back, and you've got Rappahannock oysters and and people trying to do things but uh, it is incredible the fucking hole they're digging out of.
2: Yeah. No, it's it's it's, it's, it's mammoth. And, uh, you know, I think that's the thing. You know, you got to Chesapeake Bay. Uh, you know, we can fix it, right? A bunch of stuff right. we're talking about, we'll fix it. Um, but it's going to be a big effort to get it over the hump. And then once it's there, man, it's, it's a downhill run after that. Um, so it's just really takes... Take some willingness on on everybody's front. I love that idea of a sea trust. It's a freaking excellent suggestion, Brent.
0: Can you can you guys actually expand on that a little bit? Like what, is that, what does that mean? What does that look like? I mean,
3: so it's from the land trust model, right? Which right. which is non-privatized space. And then you can figure out what's a good use for it uh, within a community context. And it's not not owned by the government. It's sort of some intermediary. And so, um, I mean, the first land trust was started, if I remember right, by out re- of reconstruction of black farmers in a co-op was the first land trust. And uh, they had thousands and thousands of, uh, of acres. So the idea is to go out And not privatize it, pre-permit it so the farmers don't have to go through the permits, and just plan. I mean, in this country, we just are absolutely allergic to any kind of industrial planning or planning of any kind, and so. We can say, okay, we're going to take this area. We're going to do this. Tom's going to reforest this and get rid of the urchins. I'm going to go there and be farming from the surface down down below. We're going to have fishers in there that are fishing because now we have an entire reef system, and all of us are collecting credits on blue carbon. Like that planning um, just allows for incredible, um, you know, just incredible opportunity. It just drives me nuts, this country, how it's just, you know, we believe that sort of randomized free market stuff is always going to find the 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 correct path and it just
0: doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it's like newsflash. It didn't fucking work. Yeah. like yeah. All of those things didn't work and, and now we're fucked.
1: And now we're fucked. <laughs> Guys, we like to start to wrap uh, our episodes up with, with uh, some specific action steps that our listeners can take uh, to support your mission uh, with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. So we'll get into that a little bit and let's start with their voice. Uh, wh- wh- what, are the, what are big actionable questions, specific, actionable questions that we can all be asking of our representatives to help support you guys?
2: You know, I work on the local, state, federal levels. Uh, We've sponsored legislation to help, you know, move things in the right direction. Um, You know, if democracy was practiced by the many rather than the few, Mm -hmm. um, I think oftentimes, you know, we would be in much better shape. Uh, It's hard to make the time, find the time to, you know, pay attention to these things, get involved with people and push forward uh an agenda and legislation that that makes those changes in policy and planning um that we've been talking about you know so in in a way i think it's you know folks putting their ear to the ground um finding that that spot or that space that's important to them you know what pisses them off um turn that anger into you know positive movement um, and and get out there and get involved um, and maybe that's trite Ah, uh, but uh, that's definitely one of the ways I look at it. So that's you know, put your time, your treasure, and your talent to work. Um, find those like-minded people and those unlike-minded people, and and lean on them and get get them moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And
3: I mean, I do real specific. Let's get a hundred thousand young people in a civilian conservation corps to plant five percent of U.S. waters right in um, in ten regions around the country. Like I. I I don't see any, we know how to do it. It's just a matter of resources permitting. And I think it's like, you know, we with that Green New Deal is something that we can really push for at the local level. Like if it doesn't work nationally, then let's do it at the state level in New York and in, in California. Let's take a thousand acres and, and,
2: and replant them. Love it. Yeah, so there it is, man. That's the bill, right? So we just, yep. Bren just authored it. Um, now we just got to go find somebody <laughs> to carry it. Fucking do right? it. Perfect. Um, it's, it, and, right. No shit. This is as simple as it is. Um, again, you know, here we are the, 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 the two wisest men who have, who are working with shit that grows itself. Um, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, you know, it's just, it's really not that complicated. Once again, yeah. Um, yeah. just wow. just got to find the time and the energy and it takes a bunch of folks to help, you know, reinforce that will.
0: Right. Now I think about what you said. It's like, it's, why is it not legal to grow kelp in New York? It's just because it's never been legal. And it's like, just fucking fix that. Just, can we start there?
3: Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly.
3: Um, I mean, the path is clear. This is, a lot of things are really complicated. This one, because the oceans are a blank slate at this point, it's not a complicated uh, path. I mean, I I suggest people take a look at the Blue New Deal we get on the Green Wave uh, 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 website. Yeah, we should share that. You see, it's pretty simple, right? Awesome,
1: we'll share it. And what about uh what about their vote? How can our how can our listeners vote to help uh, to help support
3: you too? You mean politically? You mean like
1: election? Yeah, or... I mean
0: I guess let's, let's think about it on, on almost like a on like a like a local and a state level. Mm-hmm. You know, like where where what kind of folks should they be looking for? What it, it's it's close to what they're asking. It's uh, it, the voice one is more like what are you asking of your current representatives and the voting is more just like what should you be pushing new people to or like almost like if you're involved in this, should you be running type of thing? Does that make sense? Does it make any fucking sense?
3: I think to Tom it would. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it doesn't to me. I'm with you,
2: Brian. Yeah, Brian's um,
0: just like, uh, he's never liked this
2: one. <laughs> Brian just walked out of the room. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Standard. <laughs> um, uh, hey, maybe, maybe, to, to cite an example, right? If I'm looking at Los Angeles, where I live now, right? We built this city, you know, now 80 years ago
1: on uh, rock and roll. I was just going to say on rock and, and roll.
2: No. You know, and it's starting, you know, all that infrastructure that we put in the ground or the infrastructure that's on the ground roads, bridges, mm-hmm. pipes, blah, 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 blah. It's all, it's now reaching the end of its term. And we understand scientifically the liabilities of how we built this town. Um, and we need to fix. All of the stuff that's broken, we need to address those errors in that planning and measure W that you know the majority of of Los Angeles County voters approved. Basically, said tax me to put the water back in the ground so we have something to drink from in the future. Um, hey, wow, that was a great freaking idea, <laughs> and it is you know that same sort of simple, common sense thing. This is broken. The fix isn't unknown. We know how to fix it. So now we just got to rally up together, um, get people moving forward, put something out there that's meaningful. And like in this case, right, it was successful. So it ain't easy when you're sitting there asking folks to reach into their pocketbook. Uh, but you know that's, that's what it costs to have the quality of life that you want to have uh, and, and improve the quality of life around here. And we can do it again.
3: <laughs> and I just say it's like, just get out of this politics of no, right? I mean, as an environmentalist, say, you know, you, we go, we want to stop pipelines, the Keystone pipelines, um, uh, you know, uh, methane and, you know, oil platforms, things like that. We have to do that. We need to stop things. But what are we going to build? What's our yes? What are our solutions? Right. And on, and that is such a more creative space. And I think, you know, the, the kids out of doing the strike the other day, I heard them say something, you know, the the whole um, climate strike. They're like, we have more ambition than the adults. Hey, what a beautiful, mm-hmm. <laughs> beautiful idea. Sure. And as environmentalists or whatever the hell we are, we need more ambition and just be, you know, these, these sort of Neanderthals aren't going to be able to build it. We're going to build something new. And that's exciting. Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, I, I love that we have more ambition. its uh, I liked what Greta said <laughs> the other day, which is like, you come to us for hope. It's like, I want you to fucking panic. You should be panicking. <laughs> we're panicking. That's where the ambition comes from, right? It's yeah, just like well, yeah, we have we yeah. have to do big. There's no like middle. Like we should find a centrist version of no. Right. That's, right. We're we fi- that's done. Way past that time. We're we're yeah, hitting the cool. panic button.
3: That's political time. They're, all those kids are on climate time. Right? Yeah. It's just a yeah. total yeah.
2: Um, yeah and, man I, I, oh, I look at them and I tell them when I'm talking to you know the younger folks than I and I'm like man, you guys, these are this is the carbon kids man this is this is their thing and it's awesome to see that they're capturing that and moving forward and I think that's exactly right you know it's focusing on a problem wringing your hands about the problem worrying about like oh God oh god it'll never oh I don't, oh, I don't know it just seems to start doing things that work <laughs> yeah <laughs> you'd be amazed at how far you can get.
0: Well, and I think that's actually honestly where like my vote thing comes down to is it's becoming more of like the ends justifying the means. It's like either at this point and that's what the big threat that these kids are bringing is like so many are 16 and 17. It's like maybe not this election, but by next election, like it's either you do shit or you get the fuck out because it's not even going to it's not going to be pretty.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, I was staring here and I'm sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but, you know, we're no. dealing with sea level rise here in Los Angeles. And I've been talking to people about it for decades. And then finally, you know, I think through my frustration and being a nerd and <laughs> falling back on more technical information, I'll overwhelm these people with facts. Now I just walk into the room, I'm like, do you want to live in Los Angeles without a beach?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, go, one of our huh? first conversations, I'm like, that's what
2: we're talking about.
0: One of our first conversations with Molly Peterson is when I kind of realized that the San Francisco airport was going to be underwater in like 50 years. And <laughs> she, of course, because she's a genius, did all this investigative reporting and she's like, "Yeah, no one's really paying attention." I'm like, "What what the fuck?" <laughs> right.
2: So, you know, in this case, the, the the case in point is we went out on the Santa Monica Beach uh, threw four species of seeds into the sand, stopped dragging a tractor over it. And we've grown a half a meter of beach over that two-acre site in three years. Again, letting the plants do their right. thing.
0: Right. Um,
2: and that's it. So again, you know, I think some of the simple choices are right in front of our faces. We just got to commit.
0: I saw a headline today that some fucking celebrity from the 70s sold their like $30 million Malibu house and they showed a picture of the beach. And I was like, Oh my God, like those houses aren't going to be there in 20 yeah. years.
2: Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, best, that is a huge, that's going to be a huge issue, man. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about exploring that space with the state of California, yeah. all these people, because yeah. yep. it's going to be something else, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah.
3: It looks I look at, it, I'm like, Oh, there's new regions to farm. I got yeah. more water. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Friends right. Right. like, let's yeah. just rich folks
0: water. Yeah. Like yeah. it's great. Yeah.
2: That's the night that's a night that's, yeah, nice that's right, man. People are like, Hey, should I study marine biology? I'm like, It's a growing business,
3: yeah,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> so much
1: more. Uh, and then, uh, and then what about their dollar? What can kind our of, kind of listeners do with their dollar? Uh, um, specific places like Green Wave or Bay Foundation, uh, for profit companies where they can send some dough.
3: I mean, definitely support Bay Foundation. Just amazing, and Tom's been this in this uh, space forever. Um, I donate to Greenway if you want to, you know, help us train train farmers around the country and and sort of um, really get these folks to be uh, cultivators. Our farmers are. It's a mix. Our, our target audience for our farmer training program is fishermen directly affected by climate change, women, and indigenous communities. So if that's your folks you care about, uh, Green Wave's here.
0: And if oh, you yeah. don't, get the fuck out.
3: Yes. Yeah, see ya.
1: Exactly. Sure. Awesome. Um, all right, guys, we're getting close here. We've kept you on for quite a while. We, we are sorry and we thank you. Um, we have a bit of a lightning round.
0: Not a lightning round.
1: We have a not a lightning round uh, that we just like to finish with.
0: Four, four questions. Two of them are touchy-feely and the others are not. Uh, first one, <laughs> when was uh, the first time in your life when uh, both of you, clearly not together, that would be weird, uh, realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Ooh.
1: Yeah. yeah. Whoever comes up with the answer first can go first. Yeah. That's fine. Whoever
0: so- makes up the first answer.
2: <laughs> uh, uh, we, uh, we hired a bunch of, I don't know, it's, it's not the first time, man, but it's a recent one. Sure. Um, but I think it fits the role. Uh, we, we hired these two gentlemen who've been making their living harvesting out of the ocean their entire lives. Um, and that kelp forest came back. The first time that they were, you know, involved in our work in 2013, and three months later, you know, the kelps at the surface, and these two, you know, fantastic men are standing on the back of the boat, and they're going, "Uh, Tom, did 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 we do that?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, man, that's exactly what you did. You did that." And fuck if they didn't grow two inches in front of my eyes right there, man. Wow, oh, you know, the, their spines just went straight up, and the pride. Um and uh, the understanding that that you have that power, right. um you know, is is something that carries me forward.
0: That's awesome, Brand, You have to match that.
2: Yeah, fucking yeah, right.
0: <laughs> I mean, all I can.
3: Say, I mean, when my when my I was oystering and my it got wiped out, uh, farm got wiped out two years in a row by Sandy and Irene, and it just was fucking brutal. And yeah. um, but out of that. Uh, you know, was a great pivot in my life of back against the wall, just refusing to leave the water, right? That, I think that's the only skill I've had is just like, I'm going to die on my boat somehow. And um, uh, uh, and that was the moment where, you know, all the, everything became obvious in terms of what crops to grow and how to do it. So I think, um, I don't know if it's meaningful change, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's the point in which I switched, I think, more into uh, um, uh, sort of thinking about the, the power of solutions.
0: Sure, sure. I love it. Uh, gentlemen, who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months?
3: For me, it's um, Dune Lankard. He's, he's uh, a gill netter up, uh, up in Alaska, EAC, um, tribe. And he, he's the one that took on the Exxon. He, he took on Exxon and the spill became the leader and got $700 million, uh, settlement from them. His daughter is a, uh, part of the young, um, uh, uh, people's lawsuit to protect the public, public trust that's been going mm-hmm. through the courts. Mm-hmm. And he's just, I was just out in the water with him for the last, uh, couple weeks. And the amount of sort of granular knowledge vision, uh, has just been, uh, uh, I think, uh, just been uh, stunning for me to experience. And, you know, I think, you know, I, uh, the Irish background, I come pretty bitter and he was just like, he <laughs> sees the long view and, um, you know, he's been around for his people were around for thousands of years. And, um, uh, and that's the way he's lo- looking at it. And he's looking at climate change the, the same way. This is about a transition and, a, and, um, uh, uh, he's sure that his
2: community is going to make it. And that was that, you know, that hasn't been my feeling all along. That is rad. Yeah, no. And in this case, you know, it's like this is like the Oscar speech that I got to practice, right? I, yep. I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't give you, you know. I want to thank, 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 thank. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So fortunate to be surrounded by so many fantastic people who I also work to death in order to try to produce these. <laughs> but it was a uh, Yuval Harari's book called *Sapiens* um, that did such a beautiful job summarizing sort of who we are as a species. Mm-hmm. Um, what the artifacts of some of our missteps and progress, or lack of progress, have been that it it kind of refocused and retrained my thinking on on what I'm doing when I'm working with humanity and with human beings. Um, and that was, you know, that was one of those like, oh, hey man, I, I got, I'm 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 on a layover here. I might as well grab something to read. Hey, that looks cool. I'll grab that book. Wow, so.
0: yeah, it's pretty incredible. Uh, not just the content, but the way. He tells the story is 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 pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, like like agriculture was a complete fuck up. Yep. yep, yep, it was a complete fuck up, and we've been paying the price ever since, right? Um, so pretty wild.
1: Uh, guys, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed?
0: Besides flagrant cursing,
2: I mean, <laughs> that does help a lot. Yep. Yeah, no, I uh, drinking. Yeah, uh, perfect, sure. excellent. Well, yep, yeah, there's 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 a decent there's, there's a decent amount of that that needs to be you know freaking kept at bay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah man it's there's no doubt like i might sound you know hopeful and optimistic or try to be you know painting a picture like that but there's there's a lot of frustration that of goes course, in yeah. and when you see the truth standing you know two feet in front of you and you can't grab it um it, it's enough to drive you mad so um my bike is also a good refuge the ocean is an unbelievable place for me to go, it it revitalizes me as I am trying to revitalize it. Um, so that's 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 where my peace comes from. Is uh, when I'm underwater doing my work. That's a good relationship, right there,
0: Brent. I imagine yeah. you don't have the same answer being underwater doing your work because that would mean you're dead.
3: <laughs> Brent, <laughs> yeah, don't <exactly>. die. <laughs> yeah, the um, uh, you know, we say don't learn to swim; it just prolongs your death. Right? <laughs> um, uh, the um, I mean, yeah, of course, it's the freaking water but it's it's like uh you know the land uh disappears but i mean i i yeah, i think my what i don't tell my wife but i go out in the boat i drink like a fish and then just try to avoid the coast guard is my mate <laughs> <Cool. laughs> <Perfect. laughs> oh, i'm so happy
0: feels like a nice little saturday uh, <laughs> uh
1: all right gentlemen uh if you could amazon prime a book to the president of the united states what would it be? We got a whole book club on Amazon. We put all the books in there, and people can actually order them and right. send them to the White House.
0: It's fun.
2: Oh my god, that's a great question. And I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to, you know what? I mean, the simple answer is is like is is something by Dr. Seuss because I think <laughs> oh we've I gotten it actually, yeah. yeah no because <laughs> I think you could actually handle the the you know the sure the there's poly- <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. the yeah. pictures would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know when I. <laughs> I you know I got two kids now, so you know I'm reading them Dr. Seuss and, and rediscovering how goddamn genius Theodore Geisel was. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I, it ain't the Lorax, but maybe it is.
0: Sure, love it. Hard to beat. And
3: I'm trying to remember what the, the title of this thing is, but all I it's my fa It's a it's a, a fisherman up in uh, uh, Stonington, Connecticut here, and it's his memoir. Okay. And my favorite thing is he. Um, he talks about not being able to swim, and no one on his boat being able to swim. And he had this guy, Nikki, on the boat that he fished with for twenty years. And he fell in in a storm, and he's he's swimming towards the boat, and everybody stops there and like, "Holy fuck, Nikki knows how to swim!" <laughs> and then and then Nikki dies. What? <laughs> but the whole point of the story was like, "Wow, this guy knew how to fucking swim." So that sort of uh, 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 salty tale is what what I I uh, uh, you know the um.
1: Everybody reads books that are too clean. they got to go towards things that are dirtier and uglier. Hell yeah. If you can think of it later, just let
0: us know what it is. We'll put it on the list. Awesome. Uh, This has been just tremendous, gentlemen. I I really appreciate you guys making the time and coordinating uh, this shit show to make it happen. Uh, Where can our listeners follow your guys' work online? What are your various websites and shit like that?
2: Yeah, and social shit. Yeah, no, it got us at uh, you know you can look us up at the Bay Foundation, but there's a few of those. So it's uh, Santa Monica Bay um, is our website, and uh, man, communications is where I think I suffer the most as a as a leader. Um, so uh, our hashtags and and all that are you know Bay Foundation and Kelp Forest, but our, our website is the place to get started. Okay, okay, um,
3: and just go to GreenWave.org. We got our, all our social media. I get some- Kids who do a great job at it. And if you can do one today, try to try to do a hashtag illegalize the other weed. I think that's what <laughs> I love it. Yes.
0: Uh Brent, is your is uh the, the piece you wrote with uh Ayana, is that um is that on the Green Wave site? Uh no, that was
3: with that was on Grist. Um so oh, you nice. find it. okay, on, yeah, we'll dig it uh, up uh, okay. Yeah. Awesome.
0: yeah and- Rock and roll. Uh gentlemen, can't thank you enough for your time and, and everything you're doing out there on the water. Uh, hugely appreciative. Yeah, that's it. Please keep it up and let us know how else we can help.
2: I love the podcast, man. You guys keep it up as well. Um, you know, this, these communications, I think are those uh, weapons of mass construction, um, which is what, uh, you know, Louis called them after he got done, you know, shooting the Cove. Uh, so getting that word out, um, doing it in an entertaining manner. Um, and 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 having a little bit of levity while we figure out how we're going to keep this blue ball spinning um, <laughs> right. is much appreciated.
0: <laughs> for sure, man. For uh, sure. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in.